you, Lord. So what happened where I left off is, um, so Jesus appears and tells me in 2007, I'll give you the farm. Um, In January, a friend who's a realtor came to me and gave me a spec sheet and said, I think I've found the farm. And I read it, looked at it, and went, wow, this looks perfect. There's only one problem. It's $1.6 million. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) You know, that's kind of, we were thinking 500,000 top, you know, maybe. So I just, uh, oh, me of little faith, didn't have the faith for that and set it on my bookcase and left it. About a week or so later, I wake up in the middle of the night and God is in my bedroom and the fear of the Lord is all over me and I'm shaking. And I hear the Lord internally say, go get that piece of paper. And he didn't have to tell me which piece. I knew what he was talking about. And so I went and got the the spec sheet. And he says to me, I want you to ask me for this. And I said, does that mean you're going to give it to us? He said, I didn't say that. And I went, man. Because it's harder to ask for something that you don't know he's going to give you. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll ask you for it. So we... My husband and I, we left it out on a, a table, and every time we'd walk by it, we'd put our hands on it and say, Lord, would you give us this farm? That was in January. Then some of our intercessors, um, God started really getting their grip in their hearts about the farm, so they, they said, we want to go see it. Come with us. And I went, nope, I'm not going. You guys go if you want to. So they went. They went without me and saw the farm and came back and said, this is really it, this is, it's great, it's perfect, it's wonderful, and I went, great, good, I'm asking for it, but nothing's happening, but I'm asking, and so that went on, fast forward now, um, you know, God speaks and with everything, he can use anything to speak, he can speak through a donkey, he can speak through a billboard, you know, you've, I'm sure you've all experienced God speaking through natural things, well, when we started Harvest Home in 1995, God used the number seven to get my attention. Everywhere I went, all the time, it was ridiculous. Seven. I'd go buy something. It'd be $7.77. I'd just all over the place. Seven, 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 seven. And it's the perfect number. Prophetically, it means completion and perfection. So I would just pray, Father, would you complete and perfect, you know, what you're doing. That's how I would pray when I'd see it. Seven years God did that. And then on my birthday, on the seventh year, um, that morning, the Lord says to me, um, Rhonda, now I'm going to use the number three in your life to speak to you. And uh, immediately, three started showing up everywhere. Sevens I didn't see. Three, 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 just three, 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 which is God, the number of God. And then on my birthday that evening, a friend of mine came to me and said, I was praying for you this morning, and the Lord said, as a birthday present, he's going to give you the number three. And I went, oh, I know. He told me that this morning. That's cool. And so for three years, it was three, 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 right? I was in San Diego speaking at a church conference. I got up early that morning to be with the Lord. And out of the blue, he says to me, now I'm going to bring the number three and seven together. 
And every time you see a 7 or a 3 or a 3 and a 7, I want you to remember that I am faithful to complete what I've begun in you. And so I went, hey, that's pretty cool because 3 is God and 7 is complete. God completes. God perfects. So I went, oh, I like that. You know, that's good. Okay, God. So everywhere I went, every time I turned around, it was 37 or 73 or 733. Or When I got in my car this morning and cranked it up to come here, my odometer was um, uh, 7533 with the last four numbers. I went, ooh, this is good. Grace, five grace. So things like that. It's just crazy that I'll look down just at the right moment and there it is. Or I'll look at the clock, and it's 3.37 or 7.37 or whatever. So um, God's been doing that with a 3.7. So that was, that, that was um, around 2005 that the 3.7 started. So that's important for you to know in this story. So anyway, um, we continue to ask for the farm. In the meantime, we're looking for $500,000 farms. While we're praying for this, the, the big one, we're, at, we're looking, couldn't find any. And so we end up going in June. I'm scheduled to speak in Singapore. And so uh, some churches in California asked me would I come and speak there on my way to Singapore and stop. So I did. So I go to California. Danny couldn't come with me at the beginning. He was going to meet me there, and then we'd fly on to Singapore together. So I go ahead of him, and I'm in this my host family's house. I've stayed there for five years. I've stayed there who knows how many times because there's a lot of Asian churches. For some reason, God's called us to the Asian community big time uh, outside and then the poor, obviously, in Kansas City area. But... So I'm, I'm in this Asian family's home. I've been there for five years, no matter, I don't know how many times. And she shows me a DVD of an orphanage, and we're watching it. And I can't handle it. About 15 minutes into it, I'm just bawling so loud that I, I'm dis- I feel like I'm disrupting her. So I excused myself, went out, started walking up and down her hall. Now, this, this family has a huge home, long hallway in the front door, and I'm walking up and down the hallway praying for the, this farm, this vision to help women and children. And I'm sobbing and I'm saying, Lord, how long, how long, how long? And I stop at some point and I'm looking down like this and I said, God, how much longer? How much longer? You said, Jesus, in 2007 you give us the farm. It's June. We don't even have a clue. How much long, longer? And just as I said that, I hear him audibly say, it's time. And I, I look up, and I'm standing in front of the grandfather clock in this home. And I've walked by it a hundred times, and I've never noticed it. And the clock had stopped, and the little hand was on three, and the big hand was on seven. And I went, it's time. God is faithful to complete what he's begun. And I just fell in a puddle. I must have groaned or something. I must have wailed. I did something because the lady, Quay May, comes running out of the TV room and says, are you okay? And I'm on the floor in a puddle in front of this grandfather clock, and all I can do is point at the clock. And she's, she know anybody that hangs around with me very much, and right, Janice, you can't miss the three sevens. They just follow me. And, and uh, so she knows about the three sevens, and she, I point at the clock, and she goes, oh. <gasps> 
three seven. I never noticed that before. So when we could talk, I said, how long has that clock been stopped? She said, oh, 10 years. My husband doesn't like the noise, so he stopped it 10 years ago. And I, my goodness, I've walked by that clock so many times and never noticed. So I'm telling her what happened about God saying it's time. And at that moment, I knew he was going to give us the farm. When he said it's time, that word said it's that farm you've been asking me for. And I knew that I knew that I knew. I knew it was done. And I'm telling her about it, and just as I'm telling her about it, and another lady had walked in, I, the other lady asked me, she says, well, how many orphans do you want to help? And I said, oh, I want as many as God will give me. Lord, did you hear that? And when I said that, the grandfather clock chimes in front of us. I ran. It scared me so bad. I ran out of the room. <laughs> And then I came running back because I, I thought, wait, I wanted to see if the round gongy thing was vibrating. I wanted to know if it was ha actually happened or if I was the only one that heard. Well, I could tell everybody else had heard it because one of them fell to the floor and the other one flew up the staircase, <laughs> was standing at the top of the stairs. It was so supernatural. You couldn't miss it. You know, and, that, and then her husband, who was in his office at the other wing of the house, comes down the hall and says, who round up the clock? You know, because he didn't like it. <laughs> So we told him about what had happened. Anyway, so we leave there, go to Singapore. I do the conference in Singapore. And the last night, the host family uh, gets an invitation, a phone call from a college roommate. He hadn't seen this guy in 20-something years. And out of the blue, this guy phones him and says, can you come to dinner tonight? And our host family says, oh, we're sorry, we can't. We have guests from the States. He said, oh, well, bring them, bring them. So um, end up going, uh, he says, okay, let's go. So the wife, Shireen, and I, and a, and a, a surgeon that was part of the, uh, he, he's from China. He flew to Singapore to be at the conference. So he was there. So we get it on a train, and the plan is we're going to ride the train to where her husband works that, that evening and um, meet him, get off the train. He's going to bring the car and pick us up, and then we'll drive on to the, the college roommate, right? So the three of us are on the train, and we're sitting down, and I am so drawn to this back of this girl. She's got her back to me. She's over not too far, about right where you are. She's holding on one of those poles on the train, and I cannot take my eyes off her back. So I'm sitting here going, okay, Lord, do you have a word for her? Do you want me to go tell her something? Nothing. Okay, Lord, what is it? What is it about this girl? Should I pray for her? Tell me what to pray. Nothing. And I'm like, come on, God, what is it? I mean, I know well enough to know that there's something here. And I said, what is it, God, like that? And the girl at that moment turns around. She looks me dead in the eyes and smiles. My eyes see her, look in her eyes, and then they go down. She has on a little fish symbol necklace, Christian symbol. And in Singapore, it's less than 2% Christian. That's very unusual. And then the next thing I noticed, she has on a white T-shirt with blue letters, three, seven. Big blue. That's all that was on her shirt. Big three and seven. And I see her shirt. I look back at her eyes. She smiles and nods and turns back around. And I'm, Shireen sitting beside me. She's punching me because she knows about the three sevens too because she was in China with me. So she's like... She leans over, she goes, oh, it's going to be a good night. It's going to be a good night. I said, Shereen, that's got to be an angel. I bet that's an angel. And I said, I'm going to go ask her. 
And she says, okay. So just as I said that, the train stops. She turns around and looks at me one more time and smiles and gets off the train. And I'm like, oh, oh, I wanted to know you an angel. I didn't get to ask her. It was frustrating. So, and Pascal, the, the surgeon from China, he's going, whoa, this is going to be a good night. We get off the train, get in the car. Francis, the, her, Shireen's husband, is driving. And Shireen and I are in the back seat. And the surgeon and Francis are in the front. So Francis hands a piece of paper over his head to his wife behind him and says, would you read me the address of where we're going? So she gets a paper. She goes, 37 Mount Sinai. And I went, what did you just say? Did you say 37 Mount Sinai? She goes, yeah, 37. And I went, Mount Sinai. She goes, yeah, Mount Sinai rise. I went. I'm going to Mount Sinai and 37. I said, what's this guy's name anyway? And Francis says, well, it's a Chinese name, and the, the closest pronunciation in English is Yahweh. I went, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to talk to somebody named Yahweh on Mount Sinai and 37? Oh, my goodness. I was terrified. I said, okay, nobody talk to me. i got to get with God make sure I don't have any sin in my life that I'm not, haven't confessed lately. So I was terrified. No joke. So we get there. He lives on the seventh floor, 37 Mount Sinai, and have dinner. And I love hearing people's stories, so I ask him right away to tell me a story. I said, you guys are Christians. How is that? 2% Christian. How, tell me your story. So we, he shares his story, his wife's story, and by that time, dinner's over, and all he knows about us is that we're from the States. That's it. So he finishes telling me his story, and then he looks at me, and he says, and I'm sitting right beside him, he says, I believe the Lord has given me a word for you. Would it be okay if I give it to you? And I'm thinking, your name is Yahweh. I'm on Mount Sinai, 37. Yes. <laughs> My answer is yes. You can say anything you want to me, and I'm listening. So he pulls out his Bible, and he says, Lord, Lord has prompted me with Psalm 37. Now, I had been reading Psalm 37 since November. This was June, every day, and praying it. Because five times in Psalm 37, God says, I'll give you the land. You'll inherit the land. So I've been praying it for months, six, seven months already. He doesn't know that. He says, the Lord wants me to pray Psalm 37 over you. So he reads it, he prays it, and then he looks at me and he says, I'm crying, of course. He says, um, God wants me to tell you that there's a large piece of land that you're wanting to buy. And God says, the money's coming. You'll pay cash for it. You don't need to worry. And he said, I see women and children flocking from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And they'll come there, and God will heal them. He said, he'll heal broken hearts, and he'll heal physical uh, problems, and he'll bring many. Many will come to know him in that place. That man had no idea. He had no idea. So needless to say, I had what it took <laughs> to walk by faith now. Um, God, God, you know, it's interesting how God works. He required a certain measure from me and, and my husband. And when we partnered with him, he put that in us. He gave us that amount of faith. We walked in it, and then... 
he knew we were going to need even more. So he gives us what we need to have the faith that we needed to do what he was asking us to do. So we get back home, and my husband and I called the realtor and said, we want to make an offer on the farm. And she goes, great, you got the money? And we went, nope. How are you going to do it? Said, we're going to do it by faith. Okay. Thankfully, our realtor friends were Christians and knew us really, really well and had a history with us. So it's a husband-wife team. So we make an offer on the farm and uh, finally go back and forth, back and forth. And I knew there had to be a seven and three in that price. Just had to be. Everything around this farm was 37 or 73. So when they they stopped at 1.4 million and put the brakes on and said, that's it, we're not going any lower. And I go, Lord, this can't be right. There has to be a, there has to be. It just, your signature, that's like your signature, you know, I don't understand. And he said, trust me. He said, accept the offer. So we accepted it. And um, interesting, because we started negotiations the end of June. And on July 3rd, 703, the realtor brought us the sign, the sellers had signed the forms, brought us at 7.03, at seven, on 7.03, at 7.03, they rang our doorbell <laughs> at night, p.m., for us to sign the papers. So at $1.4 million. They were selling the farm. It has uh, 300, they advertised it having 325 acres and a house, a 3,737-square-foot 3, house. And um, the address is 1177 300 Road. So the price had to have a 730, right? No. So we, they bring us, we sign the papers, and the realtor had forgotten to put the form in the packet, proof of financing form, how you're going to prove you can pay for it. And I knew that was our only problem. <laughs> and I kept telling the Lord, you got to cover us, you got to cover us, because we couldn't prove we could pay for it. So we ended up not having to sign the form because they forgot to put it in the packet. And once we'd signed it, they couldn't go back and say, no, it's not effective. You've got to sign this form. It was too late at that point. So God covered us there. And then that was 7.03 at 7.03 p.m., 1.4 million. So on 7.30, the 30th of July, our realtor phones us and says, we need to, we got something, we got to come talk to you. We got, we got a problem. And I went, okay. So they came over and brought some forms and said, the sellers discovered that they don't have 325 acres. They found a paper that says they only have 321 acres. So they have voluntarily altered the price of the farm. And the price is 1.391 one seven three seventy three dollars now who do you know sells a house for one million three hundred ninety one thousand one hundred and seventy three dollars why not one hundred seventy five why not one hundred seventy who how and I never did figure out how they came up with that number but God was just smiling really big and so on seven thirty we signed the uh, amended document now we asked them to have the property surveyed. They chose not to. After we purchased it, we had it surveyed. And actually, there's 349 acres, 0.73. So we got more land. If they had surveyed it, they would have raised the price. 
<laughs> so, um, so what happened then, that was 7.30. We had the amended price. And if you look at all those numbers, there's three ones. There's a nine, which is three threes. And there's a three, and there's one seven. So it's all God, 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 God. And 911 is the number you call for help. So it was just beautiful, beautiful numbers, um, God speaking through numbers. So we, we um, in September 1st, on our newsletter, we, we let the news out about the farm, asking people to pray and see if God would have them donate. Because God had told us that it would be cash. So that was September. The sellers close, chose the closing date themselves in June. And they chose October 17th, which is my wedding anniversary. Now, that was just huge kiss from God for Danny and I. We were like, okay, you heard us back in 1976 on that mountain. <laughs> you heard us, and you're just saying happy anniversary. So they chose that date. September, we had about, um, I can't remember, $200,000 maybe. In six weeks, we needed $1.391173. Not, not a big deal, right? So in six weeks' time, $1.5 million came in from around the world, cash. So we paid cash for the farm. And um, six months, we thought we'd probably be there a while before we started building. Six months later, $700,000 was donated. So we actually bought a house that was sitting on the corner of the property used to be part of the farm. It was sold off. So we bought it back, and we built two houses. We have a mercy house. It's not finished yet. We have a basement. It's for terminally ill children and their families. It's a about 1,700-square-foot basement, three-bedroom, where, where the family can come and get away and just have a rest and be waited on hand and foot and have prayer as often as they want it. Um, that's not completed yet. The top of it is. The basement's not. That's our project right now through the winter to get that finished. We have another house that's finished and completed. We have had a single mom and her baby living in it. Came for four months, got healed, and she's gone back to work and uh, back to her place where she lives about four hours away. Single women are there now being ministered to and loved on. So... Um, Everything we do, we we pay cash for. We believe that if it's God, he's not poor. And when the timing's right, it'll come. We had an offer through a weird series of events um, to buy a steel building, the outside structure, and um, 10,000 square foot for $60,000. And so we, Lord sent the money. We bought it, paid cash for it. We're going to build that on the hilltop. Uh, back in early 80s, I had a dream about the farm where the Lord showed me this healing ministry center on a hilltop, and he showed me what was to be in it and very clearly. And so part of it will be a house of prayer. Part of it will be a school. We're, we're praying if we can get this building completed by September 2010, which the Lord told us that was the date. So we're we're praying in the rest of the money to finish the to we have a a person that's going to put it up for free, and um, then we have to buy the stuff for the inside, the interior. But um, we're going to have a school there for eighteen and older who um, want to learn how to live 
off the land and and also go deep in Bible truth as well. We our staff's going through it right now. We're doing a we're doing it first. They're actually having school right now. I skipped class uh, to be here, but um, that hopefully will be in September 2010. We do things. We're kind of radical out there. Like uh, two months ago, we had a surprise. No electricity. We announced at our staff meeting nobody can turn on any electricity for the next three days. And you find out who's addicted to coffee and who's addicted to computer games real fast. So we're learning how to live without power and water. We want to be self-sustaining. We do chickens. We've got horses and we've got a huge garden. Um, All of that kind of stuff because we're getting ready for what's coming. And uh, we know it's coming, and it's coming like a train down a track, faster than we think, I think. So we are doing everything we can to get ready for that. Yeah? (laughs) Um, I had an experience, I think, five years ago where I was taken to heaven. And while I was there, the Lord gave me, Jesus himself said, there'll be seven years of plenty in America, followed by seven years of famine. Get ready. And he gave us clear instruction how, what to do and how to do it. And so seven years of plenty will end in 2012 from the date I was given in heaven. So we believe 2013, uh, things are going to get really, really, really hard. And I believe it will be progressive like a famine. You know, a famine starts out and it's not so bad. But, man, you go seven years into a famine and you're you're in trouble. Um. So that's just what, you know, and I know everybody says don't give dates, don't give dates. I just, uh, you know, he gave me a date, so that's all I know. Uh, so we're getting ready, and you know what we're doing mostly? You know, all the, the natural preparation is fine, but I'm telling you, if you don't know how to, to multiply food, you're going to be in trouble. If you don't know how to multiply seed, you're going to be in trouble. When we fed the homeless for 13 years downtown, we learned how to see food multiply because we had to. We watched chili multiply in front of our eyes. We watched a grill that was completely empty. Shut the lid, pray, lay hands on it, open lid, and it's got fully cooked hot dogs on it that wasn't there. We've seen it. We've watched We ran out of buns, hot dog buns. So we prayed, and we watched hot dog buns appear in front of our eyes. So I had a guy come up one time with the homeless, and he came right up to me, and he said, you, you, I saw you. And I said, what? He said, I was around the corner, my foot, my foot's, he got shot in the foot. He said, my foot, my foot, had a hole all the way through his shoe, blood everywhere. And he said, I had a vision around the corner, and God told me you were here, and if I come, you would pray for me, and my foot would be healed. And I went, oh, no, (laughs) pressure. So I go, oh, okay. I didn't let him see that. I go, oh, Okay. You know, and I turned around and I grabbed, some of you might know Stella. And uh, uh, there was somebody else, I can't remember who else I grabbed. And I said, ah, we need a lot, I need more faith than I got. Let's pray. And the guy's foot got healed right in front of our eyes. So we're going to need to walk in that. We're going to need to know how to do that. How to, how to pray and believe for $1.5 million. And how to have food appear that wasn't there before. So that's one thing we're learning and trying to walk in we all live by faith on the farm all of us and we 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 depend completely and entirely on God to provide for us and he does and he has and I've got a long track record to prove it 
So the other thing that we're we're believing that is necessary for what we're about to come into is if you don't know intimately God's character and his nature, you can easily be offended by what's going to happen. So we are preparing our hearts to know God intimately, to to um, function in a way where we're not we're not just about knowledge and doctrine and truth. You know, truth is a man. We say that all the time. Truth is a man. It's not a it's not a belief. And and to be in pursuit of the man more than the knowledge. You know, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from that moment on, a seed was put in man. And that seed was that from that point on, man would become primarily a seeker of knowledge and not of God. So you can, you know, I just got to be blunt. You guys can go through this school and you can learn a whole bunch of knowledge and not know God. It's very possible and it's very real. Satan knows God. The angels know God. Satan managed to take a third of them with him. Jesus said in Matthew 25, at the end of the age, most people's love will grow cold. That's us. That's not the world. That's us. That's the church. Most people. Why? Because you're going to be offended with God. What he, what he allows to happen is not going to make sense. And it's going to touch you. And it's going to touch people you love. And some of it will be tragedy. You know, I, I, I just remember a few years back, I had a, about seven years ago, we had a, probably the most painful tragedy in our family we've ever, ever had. And I've been through a lot of garbage in my life. I've been through a lot of painful stuff, but I've never hurt like I hurt at this point. And to, and to top it off, after this tragedy happened to my daughter, God, the, next, the very next day, withdrew his manifest presence from my life. I didn't do anything wrong. He didn't explain why. He just did. And for a year and a half, I had to get up every morning and say, God, I don't understand, but I know you, and I know you love me, and I know you're with me. I can't feel you. You feel a million miles away from me. You're not doing anything here from my eyesight to help in this situation, but I know you, and I trust you, and I know you're good. I know you're good. I know you're good. And when people would ask me, all I could say is, I don't understand, but God is good. You know, Satan has a playground in Christians' minds. I refuse to let him have a playground in my mind. And that's the what if, or that's the God's not good. God's not left you. I will not let that in. I refuse because that's the hook that he'll use to pull you down. And if you you think you can't be offended in God, you're kidding yourself. My prayer every day is, God, do what you need to do in my life so that when I go through this, I'm not offended with you. And if I stand up in pride and think I'm not going to be, I'm kidding myself. And when I walk through this thing for a year and a half with my daughter, I got a tiny little taste of what it's going to be like when tragedy strikes and it feels like God's a million miles away. You know, it's so it's easy when painful things happen and God's all over you. 
Easy is a relative term there. But you add that dynamic that it feels like God is being mean or heartless or doesn't care or a million miles away. You add that dynamic to the soup and it's very, very, trust me, you guys probably know, you've probably been there. It's very difficult. And the only thing that will carry you through that is if you really have experienced his character and his nature. And you know with every part of your being that it doesn't make sense, you can't explain it, but you know that he's good and you know he's with you. And that's what's going to carry you through tough times. You go on the mission field or wherever you go or whatever you're doing, that has to be your first response. It has to be, you don't even think about it. It's just there. It's in you. Because if it's not, you're going to start questioning and you're going to start wondering and you're going to start doubting and Satan will be all over it and there'll be this nice little playground built in your mind. I had a dream one time about this Christian community and they had this enormous playground and all the people were out on the playground and there were so many um, lukewarm Christians and so many people questioning and wondering and all of this and I'm walking through it and I could hear their thoughts and I heard the Lord say to me you're walking among the Christians playground and I went what what do you mean what and he said look over there He said, Satan has erected monuments all over this place because it's his playground and Christians think it's theirs. So that was years ago and I never forgot that. And it it all came from the what if and the little tiny doubt about God. So what we're doing on the farm, we have, um, I think, about 15 full-time staff now. Everybody raises their own support. So... And even if we had the money, we wouldn't pay people because it's part, it's the best gift we can give them because they have to learn who God is and learn if he can trust them or not. And so um, we have, we have a lot of volunteers that are part-time as well. We need a lot more. (laughs) There's There's a lot to be done practically just in keeping a farm up, especially one that large plus all the other stuff that we do as well. One of the the things that we're doing, um, we've been doing for the last two years, we have a lot of women and children and some men as well that come for inner healing. And God has absolutely been performing miracles, especially in inner healing in the last six months out there. And I I know it's happening here too. It's It's just kind of where God's at right now healing our broken hearts so that when the times get tough, we don't have all that extra baggage. I know that's what he's doing. He's helping us. So we, um, I wasn't going to share this, but I, I feel, I feel prompted to, so I'm going to. Remember when I told you about the two years of healing in the bathroom throne room for me? God did a very specific thing with me to heal me. And that was 20 years ago, and I've done it every day of my life since. And two years ago, in a big way, the Lord told me, now I want you to release that to other people. And I'd, I had been releasing it one-on-one, but now in a big way. So we've all our staff has gone through this healing and is still going through it. And other people come. We have people coming from Australia, 
all, all around to, to go through the training because it works. And here's what I love about it. It's not focused on healing. It's focused on Jesus. But what Jesus did, what God did to heal me, how he healed me was this. I'm sitting in my bathroom one day with my Bible, and I'm just sitting there. I'm not thinking. I'm not anything. And all of a sudden, I hear the Lord, and he says, Rhonda, you have something that belongs to me, and I'd like to have it back. And I said, well, what is that, Lord? What do I have? And he said, you call it your imagination. And I went, my imagination? What? I don't understand. And he asked me, he said, why do you think I created your imagination? I created it, right? And I went, yeah. Why? Why do you think I did? And I said, I'm sure it wasn't so I could just waste it on (laughs) make-believe or, and the list goes on and on and on. And um, what he said was, he said, Rhonda, your spirit are the eyes of your heart. And it was created to be a meeting place with God. And then he likened it to the temple. Our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? First Corinthians tells us that. He said the temple had three parts. The outer court, which is your body. The inner court, which is your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. And the inner court, the holy of holies. The outer court, inner court, and holy of holies is the third part. Your spirit is your holy of holies, where you are to meet with God face-to-face, like Adam walked with God, the way God originally intended it. You know, that was God's intention from the beginning, and he's been fighting for it all along. Why do you think he came down in the temple over the Ark of the Covenant and had his manifest presence there? God wants to be with us on earth. That's his highest, greatest longing, God with man. Have you ever thought about the fact that the Trinity— All three, it's so important to them that all three have had their turn, so to speak. God the Father, God, walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden until Adam blew it and Eve, Eve, both of them. Then what happens? You know, I don't know about you, but I was taught that because man sinned, God's too holy to be in the presence of sinful men, so God drove them out of the garden, and separation between God and man happened because God's too holy. Anybody taught that, heard that? I was. It's not true. Genesis 3 tells us the reason God drove them out of the garden. He drove them out of the garden because he loves them. And he said, now that they've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's sin in them, Lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever, let's drive them out of the garden. So he was protecting them. Can you imagine living in a sinful state forever and never being able to die? Never having hope? He didn't want that for them. Imagine, you know, their bodies started dying the moment they ate. Imagine walking around forever with cancer or a disease forever and not being able to die. God spared them. Now, God, sin separates from you, you from God if you let it. But it's not on God's part. God doesn't move. God's right here. He's right here. We are right there. We sin. And if we let that sin keep us from God, then it separated us from him. But God doesn't move. We're the ones usually that do this. Because we feel shame and guilt and condemnation. We're not good enough to be in the presence of a holy God. 
because God's too holy to be in the presence of sinful men. Well, let me let me ask you this. If that's true, if God's too holy to be in the presence of sinful men, how does Satan stand before his throne 24-7? Satan is evil himself, itself. So God, that can't be true. God can't be too holy to be around sin. If that was true, you wouldn't be here today. Because I don't know about you, but I met him in a sinful state. And he wasn't too holy to accept me and to hold me and to welcome me into his arms. So that's important. One, that's one of the things we st- have to stress over and over with people. Because whether you believe it or not, often it's subconscious. And that's why you work so hard to be good enough. You'll never be good enough. I'm so glad the day I threw my arms up and said, God, I'm never going to be good enough. And I quit trying. I'm going to quit trying. I'm not going to try to be good enough anymore. I quit. And it was the day I got free. And now I'm free to be who I am. Weak, completely dependent on him. My righteousness is like filthy robes to him. So why try? Come on. I'm more than willing to say to him, give me your robes. I'll take your robes over mine any day of the week. Now, am I, I'm, like, I'm not going to, I'm going to do like Paul said. There's grace. But are we supposed to sin that grace might abound more? No, I'm not saying go out and live your life the way you want to live. Because if you love God, you won't do it. Jesus said it. If you love me, you'll obey me. So pursue love. Don't pursue obeying. Don't work to get it right. Work to be loved. Work to, because you're loved. Sorry, I said that wrong. Most of us work to be loved. Work because you're loved. A lover will outwork a worker any day of the week. So we see the, the, the whole dynamic with Adam and Eve. They leave the garden. God went with them. He didn't go back to heaven and leave Adam and Eve on their own. Remember, Cain and Abel. God comes to Cain and says, be careful. Sin is crouching at the door, Cain. Come on, be careful. You're jealous here. How did Cain and Abel know to, to do first fruits and, and the, the animal sacrifice? How did they know that? It'd be, what, 300 years before God reveals that? God had to have told them. So, then think about it. Cain kills Abel. His blood's crying out from the ground. God comes to Cain. Cain's probably still got the blood on his hands. And God says, Cain, where's your brother? Now, if God had separated himself from them, and if you were the first murderer in history, and you just murdered your brother, and God shows up, let's say, for the first time ever and says, hey, where's your brother? I think you'd have a heart attack and die on the spot. I would. It'd terrify me. But Cain's response was a response of being familiar. He didn't, there's no indication whatsoever that he was shocked that God was talking to him. God says, where's your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? Now, you don't talk to Somebody like that that you're not familiar with, generally. And then fast forward. God appears to Abraham, and then there's Moses, and God wants to be with us on the earth. So God has his time on the earth with us. And then Jesus comes, 
for 33 years, God inside of a man finally, finally with people who can accept him because they don't even know who he is. So they accept him as some as a prophet and some as just a, a, a good teacher, a rabbi type person. And can you imagine God's heart inside of Jesus going, oh, how I've longed to be with you. Since Adam and Eve, I've longed to be with you and to hear and to have relationship and to eat with and to laugh with and to play with and to work with. And God had that in the son. And then Jesus leaves and his apostles are saying, don't leave, don't leave, don't go. And Jesus says, you don't understand. If I don't go, the Father can't send the Holy Spirit. I have to go. Jesus could only be one place at one time, affecting one group of people. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll be in a million people all at the same time around the world. God will be on the earth like he intended originally inside of you, and you'll be the temple. And that's the greatest longing in his heart is to just be with you. And out of that relationship, because you love him, you do what he says. Even if he asks you to go to that girl that's going to beat you up and invite her to church, you'll do it. Even if you don't know how in the world you're going to survive the next hour, you'll know him. And you'll say, Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. That has to be, that has to be the core of your being or you won't make it. What's coming on the earth, not just to America, but on the earth, without the supernatural aspect of, of the relationship you're supposed to have with God, you won't make it. So when people ask me all the time, how are you guys getting ready? My first answer is always, we're getting to know him. And how we're doing it is when Jesus, when God asked me about my imagination back in 1988, and he asked me to give it back to him, that he created it, as the holy of holies within me. You know, you have natural eyes and you have spiritual eyes. Have you ever thought about what it is that you use to see? Because you, some people are more visual than others. I happen to be extremely visual. I think and I picture. If I think something, I, I see it. That's the eyes that we use, the same eyes that you use for your imagination. Your imagination is neutral. It's neither good nor evil. It's a created thing. And I guarantee you, God didn't give it to you to use in pornography. You wonder why people have so much trouble getting over pornography? My theory is they've given over that place inside of them that was intended to be full of God. And they've given it over. You go in and you get deliverance. The demons get out. But nobody fills it up with encountering God in that place of your imagination. And if that room's empty, guess what? It's going to come back even worse than before, as Jesus said. So, so we, what I did in 1988, when God told me that, I said, okay, Lord, 
you're right. You created my imagination. I've always thought it wasn't real. I didn't really give it any thought. And I ask him to forgive me. I ask him to cleanse it. And I ask him to come and possess it. Because I've prayed for years that I'd be a person that's possessed by God. Spirit, soul, and body. Every part of my being. I want my mind to be renewed by Christ. I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to have an imagination that is set on spiritual things. You know, in Corinthians, Paul tells us, don't fix your eyes on temporal things, the things that are going to go away, but fix your eyes on eternal things and keep your focus there. So I want every part of my being, spirit, soul, and body, to be consumed with pursuing God, being with him, experiencing him, hearing him, walking with him. That's my goal in life, and it has been for 20 years now in a very, very conscious way. So I gave my imagination to the Lord that day, gave it back to him, and immediately a picture popped up in my mind. And I saw Jesus in a movie theater room, and he had a broom, and he was sweeping, and dust was flying everywhere, and he's hacking, and he's coughing, and he's exaggerating, and it made me laugh. And um, he cleaned my imagination out, because I had just asked him to cleanse it, and mopped it down, and thoroughly enjoyed doing it, and then he invited me to come and sit with him on the front row. I sat down beside him, a movie screen came down, and he said, he turned to me, and he said, will you trust me? And I said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to heal you. And I said, okay, what does that look like? And he said, I'm going to allow memories to come to the surface that you've buried. And when you see that memory, I want you to look around that room because I'm everywhere all the time. And I want you to find me in that memory. And I was terrified out of my mind because I had some really horrific stuff buried. And I said, I'm scared. I don't think I can do that. And that was when he said to me, he said, you can endure anything with me. And he said, if, will you trust me? I won't take you faster than you can go, and I'll heal you. And I said, yeah, Lord, I trust you. So a memory played on the screen. I saw it, and all of a sudden I was in the memory, you know, and I, lo- I remembered what he said. I looked around the room where this awful thing was happening to me, and I saw Jesus standing over at this corner of the room. And I ran to him in the memory, and I told him what had just happened. And he told me the truth about it, and he did some things to heal me. And from that, I was completely healed. The next time I remembered that very horrific, awful thing, I still have the memory. I still see it right now, but it has no pain. It's completely, it actually has love in it because I I received his love in the place of the pain. And so that's what he did for two years. He brought up different memories. And, and also, he taught me what he's like. I learned what he's really like in that experience. So um, two years ago, well, let me, let me do this. Let me back up a minute. I, all this was happening to me. I was so broken. That was when I was suicidal and everything, and God put me back together and I'd never, ever heard of anybody talk positively about imagination, ever. So I was, like, really scared. I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't even tell my husband. I thought he was going to put me in a loony bin for sure if I told him I was meeting with Jesus and the Father in my imagination room, 
the Holy of Holies, you know, so I didn't even tell him. But um, for 12 years, I continued to do it every day. And then in 2000, I was, my husband and I were at West Campbell's Church in Canada. Uh, Graham Cook was speaking, and he had an altar call. Can't remember what the altar call was, but I went forward. I went up. Probably 100 people up there. I was one of a big crowd right there. And I had my eyes closed. And for 12 years, I had a special meeting place with God. Nobody knew it. And it was a big open field with a big apple tree right in the center. And it had a white picket fence around the apple tree. And Jesus would wait for me under the tree, apple tree, all the time. And I'd go to him, and I just sometimes we'd just sit together, just dependent, and he'd heal me. It was my secret meeting place with God. And I could get there anytime I wanted, and I'd get there in about two seconds. So, 12 years of doing that. I'm up at the front, altar call. I've got my head down, my eyes closed. Guess where I'm at? I'm under the apple tree with Jesus, telling him whatever it was I came up for prayer for. Because that's just how I lived, right? So I'm, I'm, I've got my eyes closed. Next thing, some point in time, I hear Graham Cook whispering into my ear. And I open my eyes, and sure enough, he's standing there. So I close my eyes, and he prays a couple of things. And then all of a sudden, he says to me, he says, The Lord says... Don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me. And he starts singing that song to me. I am in a puddle. And at that moment, I go, this is real. <laughs> this is, and I knew it was real, but I really knew it was real. And um, then he goes on to say, he said, the Lord wants you to know that he really enjoys his time with you inside that white picket fence under that apple tree. And, yeah, that was in 2000. So... Um, my secret was out. It took me a few more years to tell my husband, <laughs> though, truthfully. So two years ago, we began, God gave me a lot of scripture to support what I'm talking about. You guys know you're in Bible class. When you study the New Testament and the original Greek language, it's so influenced by the Greek mindset that the mind is, the, is it. Your mind, your, your ability to reason and intellect is the ultimate goal. And so the translation is, is um, flawed in some ways. There, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. You look up that word, mind, it means deep thoughts, understanding, imagination. Not your reasoning, not your brain, not your thoughts as of reasoning thoughts. But part of the way you love God is with your imagination. And there's a ton of words in the New Testament that mean your imagination. So, and on and on and on. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. You guys know that one. You pray it all the time. It's, I know I did too. And a, uh, about a month ago, I have a dream. And the Lord speaks that. And he says, Rhonda, what are the eyes of your heart? Jesus standing over me in the dream. He's saying, what are the eyes of your heart? Answer me. What are the eyes of your heart? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He says, no, you pray it. What are the eyes of your heart? You pray it all the time. Know what you're praying. And I mean, he wasn't being mean, but he was intense. And I said, Lord, what are the eyes of my heart? And just as I said that, I understood it's your spirit, man. It's your imagination. It's that part of your being internally that sees. Yeah, exactly. 
I did that too. (laughs) Oh, so we two years ago started using this to help people get healed. Um, I'll tell you one story. Um, We had, um, I was speaking in Minnesota at a church and a mom came up to me afterwards and said, I have two daughters, one of them from probably birth to six years old was um, horrifically abused sexually by her birth father. And she's now um, 13. At the time when I met her, she was 13. And for seven years, she's non-functioning. She's been to every psychologist. Every I've had her in counseling for seven years. Nothing's working. She has not slept in her bedroom for seven years. She mostly sleeps on the dining room table. She will not take a bath without screaming. She won't open any blind in the house or curtain. She won't leave the house hardly at all. We have to make her. She won't, um, and on and on and on. That's enough. Completely non-functioning. She said, is, is there any way you would be willing to meet with her? So I said, bring her tomorrow, and I, I would love to meet her. I had an instant heart connect with her and her older sister. Fell in love with her. She fell in love with me. And I invited him to come to our summer camp because we have a free summer camp for kids that can't afford to go to camp and horses and the whole deal. And so they couldn't afford it. So their church raised the money for their gas and their food. And they came. And she ended up um, at the camp sharing with me how she had absolutely terrified because she knows she's going to hell because she's been unable to forgive her dad. So I got to share with her about that. And then she expressed the fact that she knows God doesn't want to be with her because of her sin of unforgiveness. You know, So we got to share about that. And um, ended up, she had an encounter with the Lord. I used this technique. I had her give her imagination to God, ask God to fill it, ask the Holy Spirit to come in and possess her mind, her will, her emotions, and her spirit, and her body. Because you know, you guys, you know you're supposed to be possessed by God, right? Not the devil. He counterfeits. Why do you think he possesses people? Because God's supposed to. So I I led her in that prayer to do that. And she immediately, in her imagination, a memory comes up that she hasn't been able to talk about ever, she said, not to any of her psychologists or her mom. A memory comes up, and she is just terrified out of her mind. So I told her, I said, I said, go back. Close your eyes if you can. I'm right here with you. Jesus is with you. And look around that room and see where Jesus is because he's there and find him. So she does it real quick. She goes, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And she goes, oh, I see him. I see him. And she runs over to him. He scoops her up. He takes her out of that room, and he does particular things and speaks some things to her heart. And she's, I mean, that took about 30 minutes of him really pouring into her. And then she opens her eyes, and she says, wow, I feel better. (laughs) And I said, now let's go test the memory, because the only way to know if it's done is you have them go back to the original memory, look at it, and see how they feel. Because the first time she was terrified out of her mind. And uh, she goes back and looks at it, and she says, oh, I just feel so loved. I'm safe. I don't have anything to worry about. God's with me now. Jesus is here. And everything was great. So she ends up staying at our house for um, three weeks. 
her and her sister. Her mom goes back to Minnesota, and she stays with us for three weeks, and we do sessions with her every day, having her encounter the Lord. She couldn't eat. She was um, 13. She looked like she was about eight. She, she was skin and bones and really tiny because she just hasn't thrived. She's been slowly dying, really. So she could eat. Her maximum amount of food was five bites. If she did more than five bites, she would throw up every time. She'd had all the tests run. Nobody could seem to help her. Nothing worked. And so she was just not thriving. Food was just not something she ever even wanted to eat. So um, at one of about the first week of sessions, she's having a session and she hits another memory that was really, really bad. And she looks at me and she says, I'm going to throw up. My stomach's hurting. And I said, tell Jesus, quick, tell him. So she tells Jesus she's going to throw up. And she sees Jesus in her imagination. I like to call it the Holy of Holies because I think it's more accurate. I think we've been duped. I think we've Satan stolen something from us that um, that is supposed to be really powerful in our lives. That's my personal opinion. And I'm very confident in it because I've seen so many people's lives turn completely around by encountering God in this place of encounter within our spirit, the eyes of our heart. So I said, look around. Where's Jesus? She sees Jesus. Uh, no, I didn't say that. She just went back, saw him standing there, and she sees Jesus, and he reaches into her stomach, and he does this, and he covers his hand, and he looks at her, and he says, sweetheart, you don't need to, you don't need to look at this. And he puts it behind his back, and he looks at her again, and he says, um, your stomach will never hurt again. You'll, you won't have trouble eating anymore. Whatever he took out, I don't know. And she opens her eyes, and she, she adopted me. Her and her sister's her grandmother. So she goes, Grandma, Grandma, um, I'm hungry. <laughs> I said, she'd been there, you know, a week already, a week for camp and then a week at my house. And I never, she was never hungry. She said, I'm hungry. Can we go get something to eat? I said, yeah. <laughs> so we stopped the session, go in the kitchen. I make her a half a sandwich because that's all she would ever eat. And usually she wouldn't even finish it. And she ate every bite, crust and all, which she never did. And then she asked for the other half. So I made it, and she ate it. And then she asked for an apple. And I said, you don't like apples. <laughs> she said, well, I think I do now. So I gave her an apple, and she ate it. And then she asked for more food. And I said, ooh, you know, you haven't really eaten in seven years. Your stomach's probably about that big. And you're going to have a stomach ache just from eating. So why don't we wait an hour and if you're still hungry an hour, come back, I'll give you some more. So she goes out and swings um, on the swing set for an hour, and she comes back in. She must have been watching her clock because she was right on time. She says, I'm still hungry. <laughs> so I fed her. And anyway, that was in June. She was just at my house weekend before last for her 14th birthday. She wanted to celebrate her birthday on the farm. And so she came for four days with her mom and sister. And she eats more than her mother her mom said her grocery bill has increased significantly. So after she stayed three weeks, she went home, and for the first time ever in seven years, she slept in her bedroom all by herself, not even with the dog, and got up in the morning and told her mom that it was so nice to sleep with Jesus in her room. And she slept there ever since. She now doesn't have any trouble taking a bath. The windows are open in her home, and on and on and on. She that that young lady and Janice will tell you I'm not exaggerating. She saw her, 
and uh, she knows that I'm telling you the truth. I'm certain, I mean, if you could see her now, the difference is like night and day. And so that's part of what we do on the farm is this healing anointing and that God is just pouring out. But it's even more than that. Her sister, we did sessions with her sister who's 16 now, and her sister called me one night. We have a house church, and it was right in the middle of house church. She texted me. So I didn't see it till after, and it was too late. So I called her right away. She said her best friend, her best friend's been cutting herself for about three years now. And she texted me and said, what do I do, Grandma? What do I do? She wants to, Katie wants to cut herself. I don't know what to do. And, but I didn't get her text in time. So I called to check, see what happened. Well, what happened was when she couldn't get a hold of me, she sat back and she says, okay, I'll just go to my secret place with God and I'll ask him. So she does. She goes, checks in. She has a particular place she meets with God or Jesus. And she says, my, my friend wants to cut herself. What should I do? And Jesus, she saw Jesus and he said, tell her to come to me and I will help her. So she tells her friend, let me tell you what you do. You have an imagination and God made it and it belongs to him. So you need to give it back to him. Can you do that? And she goes, yeah. So she, her friend gives her imagination to God. And then she says, now ask God to clean it. So God cleans her imagination. She says, now, tell God you want to cut yourself. It's so simple. So her friend says, okay, God, I want to cut myself. And all of a sudden, her friend sees Jesus. And Jesus holds out his arms. And then he turns around. And he shows her his back. And he shows her his chest. And he says, you see these cuts on my body? I let men cut me so you'd never have to cut yourself. I love you. And the girl starts sobbing, crying, and she feels God's love. And the, the, the sister is just watching the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, um, that was around July, and this friend has never cut herself since. Got, accepted the Lord. Jesus, in the encounter, asked her if she wants to be his child. He told her, I died for you. I'm your Savior, and um, do you want to be my child? And the girl says, yeah, yeah, I didn't know you. She'd never been to church. So the Lord leads her to him in an encounter with nobody there. So so I am, anyway, it was just fun. That was a really fun one for me to see that happen. And um, these two girls, every single day, nobody has to make them because they love it. In the morning and at night, they have their hour to two hour session they're homeschooled where they sit and encounter Jesus and their mom is just blown away by how they're evangelizing the youngest one was so timid and afraid she wouldn't open her mouth ever now she's evangelizing people in the grocery store and if she she was at church not too long ago and one of the girls was really upset and angry and she goes over to the girl and says I can help you with that if you want help she leads her to give her imagination to God and the girl has an encounter with the Lord in Sunday school in the youth group so um Janice do you want to share anything about that because you're Janice is training and doing the sessions as well we meet with people two hour sessions at a time well I can just say that um you know, there's different ways that we've all learned to encounter the Lord, and uh, I do it pretty well. I don't see as often as Rhonda does, but I feel the Lord a lot. And so I didn't know how these sessions would be for me. But what they've 
by by having a facilitator there to kind of ask you the questions, um, I've gone places that I never thought that I really needed to go. Even my very first session, the Lord took me uh, not to just a specific mem- memory, but just feelings of not having been celebrated as as I was growing up and, you know, not coming from a Christian home and things. And the Lord <laughs> just kind of brought the healing in in kind of a real general way because there wasn't anything real specific. I didn't have trauma or um, abuse. I just kind of had nothing. <laughs> and sometimes that's worse than that. But uh, so I've I've had a lot of healing from it. And, you know, the Lord has just been working in my life in a, a lot of ways that I didn't think I even really needed it. I mean, I knew I needed something, but I didn't know it was going to be like this. And so several sessions have been really helpful for me. And um, they're good. They, they, they cause you to ask the Lord things that you normally wouldn't. You know, they, 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 you're just more free to ask the Lord about different things. And just, I don't know, that's what I, what I feel. And the reason that is, is because they're relationship-based. What, what you're doing is allowing God to come in and talk to you face-to-face. And, um, and by, there's an element of by giving God your whole being, even your imagination. There's a greater awareness of God in you. For me, that was that was what I've experienced, and I've heard other people say that as well. So, do you have any questions on that? I know that's like a dropping a bomb in your lap, but well, I, to me, the thing that just immediately popped in my mind is why don't we like go through a little mini session? <laughs> Are you up for it? Yeah. yeah, is that good? Sure. Um, should we? Keep doing this, or 